So if you want, let's open up there as we finish the chapter this morning in which we look at the birth of John the Baptist. And let's pray uh, one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. I I just want to thank you, Lord. I know this week is, is Thanksgiving. And Father, the amazing things that you've done in our life. And here we are today. And we're grateful, Lord, to you. I pray, Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would come upon us, God. I thank you that these are your people and this is your work and this is your word and that you are our teacher and that you can strengthen us no matter what we're going through. I pray that you would. I pray, Lord, that you would feed us. Thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Luke chapter 1, we're going to cover verses 57 through 80. And in 57 through 63, we're going to see John's birth and, and the naming of the child. In verse 64 through 66, we'll see the impact of this miraculous birth. And then in verses 67 through 80, we'll see the prophecy of dad, the prophecy of Zacharias as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But look what we read here in verse 57. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying his name is John. So everyone, they all marveled. Now we studied earlier in Luke 1, 5 through 25, about this elderly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, to whom God sent the angel Gabriel and announced that they were to have a child. Uh, Even in their old age, they were well beyond childbearing years. After so many years of not having a child, they were to have a son. And the angel told them that he would go before the Messiah as a forerunner. And the angel said, if you remember back in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, that they would call his name John. And so now you fast forward nine months and the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth. And thank God, you know, of course, everything went well. And think about it, man, their son was born. And I just love this, man. I just love the way that God invades our planet. That the way God invades our life, you know. And for us, we know that this whole thing kind of transpired in a certain time in history. But it's constantly going on in our lives. You know what happened when you got saved? It happened before you got saved. And it happens, I I think, every day as the God of all creation invades our life. And he comes in and he gives us the things that we need. And he tells us what we need to hear. And in this case, we know that there would eventually be the forgiveness. And before the forgiveness, so to speak, there was the forerunner. It was all part of God's plan, preparing the hearts so that when Jesus came, we would be ready. And that's who John the Baptist was. The son was born. A crazy, crazy thing when you think about it from a human perspective. But what a beautiful expression of God's love. 
And so as their son was born, just like most, most births, the neighbors, the relatives, the friends, the family, they all heard about this little guy who was born. And uh, I like what we read right here in verse 58. It says how the Lord had shown her great mercy. You know, and of course, all babies are a blessing. But this one was special, huh? I mean, they knew, everybody knew, all the neighbors, the friends, the family, they all knew it was totally the Lord, that this was not the norm by any means, that this was supernatural. And they all, it says right there, rejoiced with her. And so they're there, and they are probably hanging out because they're still there eight days later. And it says right here that the time came for the child to be circumcised. You know, one of the things that we're going to see, one of the lessons that we'll see in today's study I think that we can definitely pull out from the text is that Zacharias and Elizabeth were dynamite parents. They were great parents. You know, and maybe they didn't go on to, you know, be the prophet. Why wasn't Zacharias the prophet? Well, sometimes the, the father's greater than the prophet. Sometimes it's more necessary to have those godly parents who will raise their children to go far beyond they ever beyond where they ever went you know and if you're here today and if you have kids i want to encourage you to take heart from this and and to glean from this and to learn from this and i'd really believe and i was telling my daughter my son this on the way over here that that being a parent is one of the the most important if not the most important tasks that we have in life and zacharias and elizabeth they were careful to obey the word of God. And as a parent, you know, that, that's got to be your calling. You know, the Bible said back in Genesis 17, 12, Genesis 17, 14, that they were supposed to circumcise their child on the eighth day. We read there, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male in your generations. Later, it says, In the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And you know, we know what circumcision meant. It meant the cutting away of the flesh. You know, we're going to see later how Zacharias was filled with the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing, you know, and how we need to cut off the flesh. That's part of our commitment. That's part of our covenant. That's part of what we kind of signed up for, you guys. Not to live for ourselves, not to live for the animal appetites and drives of this world, but to live in the Spirit, to live for the Lord. But Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were careful to obey the word of God. It's repeated over in Leviticus 12, verse 2 and 3. And not only would they circumcise the child on the eighth day, but they would also name the child. And we see that here as they're, as they're about to, to name John. We'll see later in, Gen in Luke 2, 21, they do the same thing for Jesus. On the eighth day, they circumcise him and they name him. And so as they're naming him, and it's kind of cool, we, that's one of the first things we ask huh, when the baby's born, how much do they weigh? And uh, I heard about an 11-pounder the other day. It's pretty interesting, man. It can happen. But, you know, and, and, and what, what's, what's their name? You know, what do they look like? I, I'm not real good at, like, what do they look like? I can never tell, but it's kind of funny how some people can see all, all that stuff. Oh, what's his name? And everybody right here was, was wondering, well, what's his name? What will they call him? And as they're there thinking about this whole thing, there's some that say, I'll bet it would be Zacharias, right, after his faithful father. Or some maybe said, you know, after uh, Uncle David, you know, after all, and David's devout as an uncle. Or, 
or maybe even Samuel, because we know when you look back in the Old Testament that Samuel was a special birth. But right here, Elizabeth, she didn't give in to the peer pressure. You know, and as a parent, that's very important. It doesn't matter what friends and family say and they tell you, what the world tells you. It does not matter what the standards of society is. As a parent, you've got to follow God. And she said, no, his, his name will be called John. Now, I like John. Anybody, any Johns here? I hate cold, but there's a John back there. I like the name of John. You know, but back, but for back then, you know, it was fairly common, but in the family, it wasn't. No one liked it. They couldn't believe it. So much so that what they did was they went over her head. They went to the dad. They went to the husband, Zacharias, who apparently was not only mute, but also deaf. And they made signs. Hey, hey, what's, what are you going to call him? What's his name? <laughs> you know, and so Zacharias, he asked for uh, uh, literally it's called a flat surface. It's probably a, a wax flat surface. And he writes on a board on a piece of clay. Literally, he says his name is John. And in spite of the pressure to disobey from God, uh, to disobey God from friends and family, and in spite of the fact that it wasn't the normal flow of how things would usually go, this couple knew what God wanted them to do with their son, and they did it. To the very, you know, naming of their child and circumcision of the child. And what they did is they surrendered him fully to the Lord and even allowing the Almighty to give him his name. And now this had great impact. We read next in verse 64 that immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. You know, and I think that there's definitely a correlation, you guys, between the, the fact that, you know, when Zacharias made that final decision, his name is John, to like, boom, at that moment, how God rewarded him. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, and I know the Lord tells us over and over again that, that he really does bless obedience. You know, and, and how would you feel after nine months of divine discipline? How would you feel when you're going through the hard times and you know it's God's heavy hand upon you because of some act of disobedience in the past? How does that make you feel? Does it make you bitter? Or does it make you better? Are you drawing near to God or are you drawing away? You know, and I was telling my kids about this. How do you feel when I spank you? And they're like, oh, I don't know, Dad. And they're like, better, better, better. I'm like, yeah, right. I mean, how do we go through all these things? And where do we end up with? And the moment that we can express what's in our heart, what would come out? And for Zacharias, immediately we're going to see, it says right here that he spoke praising God. And that's what happens when you're going through the hard times. And rather than focusing on those hard times or focusing on the difficulties, you're focusing on the Lord. And then when the moment comes for you to testify, you will bring glory to God. That's what Zacharias did. After nine months of divine discipline, minimum of nine months, being a deaf mute, the very moment he was allowed to testify, the only thing upon his lips were words of praise to God. And that, that's a, a very awesome testimony. It takes a lot of man, a lot of maturity 
to come to that place. I read this quote from G. Campbell Morgan. He said, we cry to be delivered from the punishment instead of the sin. Instead of the sin that lies behind it, we're anxious to escape from the things that cause us pain rather than the things that cause God pain. And Zacharias, in going through this, it's so cool to see the way he ends up just, you know, the healing rewards of focusing on the Lord. And after that comes the healthy and holy fear because look what it says in verse 65. Then fear came upon all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. You see, when the Lord moves, and you guys, I'm telling you, man, He wants to move. How many of you believe God's alive? Just out of curiosity, man. We believe God's alive and God is here and God wants to work and God is looking and searching for that individual who's open and believing so that they might be receiving. And it's amazing, man. As you're there and as you're open and as you're just saying, God, use me, then he will come in. Miracles will happen. People will see it crystal clear. And then what ends up happening is, man, you know, there's a holy fear. Like they're like, wow, there, there really is a God. You know, and you're the evidence. So we can go back and we can get the Charlie Campbell DVD and he'll give you like all the intellectual evidence and there's ample evidence that God is alive and that God is working. But man, there's no evidence like you in your life. And as God begins to change you, God begins to use you. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were this consecrated couple that God said, I'm going to work. And as things began to happen and praises and miracles and babies and just, you know, you name it. And then you can just go down the list maybe even of your own life. And I love the way that some of you just shine at work. I mean, your, your smile, your glow, your love, it shines. And then you begin to testify of even during the difficult times. And everybody can see the hard times that you're going through, how you're still there. And you're on fire for God. And you're testifying. And as people see that, there's this impact that you have. And you're making a dent in their destiny. And that's what ended up happening with this couple. When you know John was born and they stick to their guns. And they're not giving in to peer pressure. And then you know, after nine months of Zacharias being a deaf Mute, he begins to speak, and what comes out is this amazing words of praise to God. And, they, and then all of a sudden they hear, they see the miracle. It's there right in front of their eyes. Some people say, well, miracles don't take place anymore, Manny. Or, or maybe if they do, it happens in the third world countries, you know. They hear funny things like that. No, I'm telling you, miracles take place now. God hasn't changed. You read the book of Acts, you see the way that God did what he did, and he can still do that today. The question is, how has the church changed? How's your prayer life? How is your prayer life? You know, a lot of us here struggle with that. And yet God says, I want you to pray and I want you to fast. I want you to seek me. I want you to get on your knees. I want you to get on your face you know, and I think we can probably use a little bit of that. I mean, we got so much going on and we think we've exhausted our resources. God, I want him to get saved. I want her to get saved. I want this to happen. And you haven't even fasted. You haven't fasted. 
this, this kindness doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. But, you know, I've got to go to McDonald's, Lord. Oh, you fasted a meal? Well, you're just trying to lose weight, huh? That's, that's what's going on, huh? You're not really seeking the Lord. You know, no offense here. There's a few thin people here. But, you know what? I, I think we would live if we took a day off from eating. A whole day. I think we would live if we sought the Lord like that. See, God wants us to take him seriously, you guys. He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. And we need to have that heart. What ended up happening was there's this, this healthy, holy fear. I mean, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wow, God is really alive. And in verse 66, it says, And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. You see, there was a, a, already a preparation going on. There's already this expectation that was being planted, this anticipation that was being you know, distributed to the people. You know, this whole event, this birth right here, would be used to plant seeds of expectation in the hearts of the nation. And even, we'll see probably 30 years down the line, when word would get out that the word of the Lord came to this young guy, John, who would then be in the desert, that many of the people who heard of the miracle would then go to hear the message. And who knows, you know how churches start, they start with, with a handful of people and maybe this is a handful of people that, that the church started with, you know, because they were there and they had this expectation, this anticipation and then they would go out and then they would see the anointing of God on John's life and they would go and they would tell about the ministry of John the Baptist. You know, one of the things about John the Baptist, you guys will see, is it doesn't make any sense when it comes to church planning and programs, you know. It doesn't. He was out there in the desert. And, you know, you'd have to, like, really travel to a crazy place to go and find him. He wasn't there, you know, next to the freeway. But God, by his spirit, was drawing the people. And, you know, it begins right here as God is giving them that expectation, that great anticipation. What kind of child will this be? What's going to happen with this guy? And it says right there that the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with him. And that probably means so much. But as I've already shared, one of the things that I think it means is that he had godly parents. He had godly parents. You know, and I just want to encourage you parents here today, man, to pour into your children, to pray for them, to pray with them, to spend time with them, reading them the Bible, teaching them the Bible, exemplifying the Bible to them, loving them, looking into their eyes. I know there's a lot of things that are vying for our attention and you know, a lot of times you go home and, you know, you, this kid's over there, he's playing video games, and this kid's over there and she's on the Internet. You know, and Dad's over there and he's watching the, the, the ball game and Mom's over here. And, you know, that just breaks my heart. You know, and I want to encourage you, you go home and you round up the troops and you get them around the table and you raise them up in the ways of the Lord. 
You know, I think the hand of the Lord was upon John and that God had blessed him with beautiful parents. But a lot of theologians, a lot of commentators tell us that they also believe that that John's parents perhaps died when he was young. You know, we know that they were older when he was born. um, And there's probably some truth to that. But see, the Lord's hand was upon him. You know, and we're going to see later he goes into the desert. And there's that element of you as parents doing your job, right? But then there's an element of that child eventually growing up and having his time, establishing his relationship alone with God, so to speak. All we know is this, that God's hand was upon him. And God's hand, I believe, is upon you as you're a Christian. Isn't that cool? You know, last night I went up to Twin Peaks and I was there at a men's conference. It was so cool laying hands on the guys and just seeing the brokenness and the falling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that were being exercised there. It was so cool just laying hands on people. But one of the things that we're seeing is it's not man's hands, it's God's hands. And that's what's on your life. The hand of the Lord was upon him. And I believe the hand of the Lord is upon you. The hand of the Lord can be upon the church. As a matter of fact, this is a phrase that in the New Testament only Luke uses. Over in Acts 11.21, it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You know, that's the only times we find it in the New Testament when, when Luke writes it. But it's found 35 times in the Old Testament. One of the cool scriptures is 1 Kings 18:46. It says, Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, if you read the story there in 1 Kings chapter 18, what had happened was um, that King Ahab was in his chariot. And, you know, the Lord had brought rain and Elijah was under the impression that there was going to be a revival. And so the hand of the Lord came upon him, think about this, to run ahead of the chariot. That must have been so cool, huh? Any of you here old enough to remember the $6 million man? Remember him? And just, you know, you think about like how fast he would run or just some of you kids are younger, you know, Sonic, you know, stuff like that. And... uh, (laughs) The hand of the Lord was upon him to run. And I think for us, you know, the thing that is so cool is the hand of the Lord can be upon us to run this race, to to run to win. I think that's what we need. There's another cool scripture in 2 Kings 3.15. It says, but now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. You see, when the hand of the Lord comes upon us, He can give us feet to run, to win, and not lose. When the hand of the Lord comes upon us, it's so cool because He'll give us the capacity to worship God and to listen. You know, and I don't know how you guys are in your worship. And by that I mean the ministry of music and worship. But, you know, if if that's not a real big deal to you, then you've got a real big problem. Because that time that we spend in worship to God is so important. The hand of the Lord, it says, came upon him. This musician played and they worshiped God. 
And then he was able to hear the message of the Lord. And that's why it's important for us, you guys, to make sure that we have, you know, when we come, you know, some people think that the music time is just kind of like a buffer zone, you know, and it's like, okay, I got some, you know, time where I can kind of settle in and, and then eventually the message will come. But that the music time and the worship time is so important. And you've got to come in and you've got to surrender. And then it's so cool because when the hand of the Lord is upon you, then you can enter in and God will speak to you. And that's the thing that we need. We need the Lord to speak to us. All of us here are going through different things. We're in different places. And you need the word of the Lord. You need the word of the Lord. You need the hand of the Lord. That's what John had. And that's what we have. Here we see John's birth. We see the impact of his birth. And we close today with Zacharias' prophecy. Because it says in verse 67, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will be, go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. In, in looking at Zechariah's prophecy, it, it's kind of broken up into two things. Number one, the Savior, and number two, the forerunner. One, the child of God. Secondly, the child of Zacharias. We read here in verse 67 that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. And real quick, just as a side note, I think it's cool to see these inspired words, these lasting words, these beautiful words were actually flowing from a life that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's important for us to know. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we under his influence or are you doubting him or disobeying him? Are you quenching him and grieving him? Our only hope to do anything that will impact and last is if we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And Zacharias here, he, he was. 
You know, and in looking at this prophecy, it's definitely something that God did, that God gave, and yet at the same time, it's something that Zacharias did, that Zacharias received. You see, it was operation by cooperation. And even though Ephesians 5.18 hadn't been written yet, it was practice. You see, as he shares these words, it's, they're, they're, they're beautiful words. Verses 67 through 75, they focus on the Savior. And so Zacharias begins with praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? We read in verse 68 that he has visited and redeemed his people. I mean, think about it. God's come to us. God's purchased us. It's awesome. How? Well, he raised up a horn of salvation. We read that there in verse 69. The horn of salvation refers to the power of Messiah and his ability to protect us. You know, the horn on those animals, it it refers to that element of protection, to what an animal uses to attack and defend his family. And that's who God is. Thus, the meaning of the figure is our powerful Savior. You know, we know that this Savior was to be of the house of David. We read about that in verse 69. And we read that also in Luke one twenty-seven that this was Jesus' lineage. And the Old Testament is filled with prophecies of how the Messiah would come from the root of David. You know, I encourage you, if you get a chance, read Psalm 89. It's all about how the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. And specifically, verse 24, it says, But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. That prophecy regarding Jesus. And here it is. We see the fulfillment of those things we read in the Old Testament. You know, and David lived in approximately 1000 B.C., and that's pretty impressive. But here we even see that these prophecies, notice right there in verse 70, have been since the world began. That from the very beginning, God had prophesied that the Messiah would come. As a matter of fact, Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy about Jesus. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God would defeat the devil, our enemy. And so we read in verses 71 through 75, that God has saved us. God saved us, you guys. He saved us from the lake of fire. He saved us from hell. He saved us from defeat and even hell on earth. God saved us from our enemies and the agenda of the enemy. God in Christ has given us the victory. And right here, Zacharias is just praising God. He's seeing what God has done. So amazing. I like what it says there. It saved us from the hand of all those who hate us. You know, this is all part of God's covenant given through Father Abraham. Remember Father Abraham and many sons, many sons of Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. So let's all what? Praise the Lord, man. It's amazing when you look at this right here. Genesis 22:18. In your seed. Speaking of of Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because he obeyed God's voice. It says that we would be saved to serve the Lord. And that's important. Look what it says in verse 74. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, 
might serve him without fear. You know, and I don't know what that might mean to you. Maybe some of you here, you know, you're not willing to step out and to serve the Lord in ministry. Or, or maybe it's that you don't think you're worthy. You know, and so you're like, you know what, I, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. You know, I don't got my, my act all together. And I do encourage you to go forward in your relationship with God. But understand this, that there's no one worthy. There's no one good enough. As a matter of fact, when you get involved in ministry, it helps you in your walk. When you get your eyes on the Lord. And he saved us so that we can serve him. And whatever gifts and talents and, and, and wherever you belong in the body of Christ, we need you. We need you. In that sense, just like the body needs all the different members. And sometimes, you know, as a congregation, you know, when we don't catch the vision of understanding that I belong here, sometimes you might even feel out of place, like you feel like you don't belong. And let me tell you something, you do belong because of the blood of Christ. Because He washed you. And He's given you gifts and He's made you worthy. None of us approach ministry on our own righteousness. If we do, we'll be in big trouble. But when you understand that the blood of Jesus has washed away your sins, and the blood of Jesus gives you a place in the body, you understand that he saved you so you can serve him. As a matter of fact, it's so cool in Hebrews 9, in verse 13, it says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, I've learned, you know, that it's the little things. It's the little things in the ministry that make the difference. Because you might even be, you know, I don't know, deceived into thinking, well, you know, it's just a little thing that I do, and I'm sure it's not that significant. I'm sure they can do without me. You know, and there you are, and you're serving whatever it is. You're greeting, you're smiling, whatever it is, you're reaching out, and, you know, and you despise it because you think it's not a big deal, and it's a big deal because to that one person that you were able to reach, it changed their life. Because God saved us to serve. It really is an awesome truth. That's what he says right here. He saved us to serve him. And we all need each other. You know, it talks about, you know, the living God. And he works in our life to use us. You know, so many people that are hurting. So many people, man. And I've learned that in the ministry. We want to serve Him in the millennial kingdom. We want to serve Him in the eternal kingdom. We want to serve Him right there in verse 75 in holiness. And we want to serve Him in in righteousness. And this whole section up to this point is all about Jesus. It's just all about Jesus. And, And it really is all about Jesus. That's our life, you guys. You know, why did they insist on naming him John? Why John? Does God just like the way it sounds? You know, some parents are, I like the way it sounds. 
Manny Coronilla, it kind of sounds whatever, you know, your name is. And I don't like the way it sounds, but you may have these, you know, reasons. And, and, but that's not the reason because we know that the reason God named him John is because of what John means. It means that Yahweh is a gracious giver. And God has shown his favor, you guys. And he forgave you of all your sins in the past. And he forgives you of all your sins in the present. He forgives you of all your sins in the future. And if you ever come back to him, if you ever return to him, if you ever ask him for forgiveness, he's always there. He's always here. He's not like us. You know, I'll give you 37 chances maybe, you know. But God's not like that. You are accepted. You're accepted in the Beloved. It's the grace of God. We don't deserve it. None of us does. But God is a gracious giver. And he gives you salvation. And he continues to bless your life. It's amazing. You know, God, the God of Christianity is the only God like this. Because he's the true and living God. You see here the Savior, and then it's so cool because Zacharias then shares a prophecy about his son. And, and imagine this, and I don't know if it was like uh, uh, like Simba, you know, I don't know if it was like that, you know. <laughs> or maybe he was holding him like this, or I don't know, but he says, and you child, you know, and he begins to just, he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to prophesy, and you child will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Question for you. And something important for your kids. There's a calling on their life. There is a calling on their little life. Do you as a parent know that? I think parents drive their children. Don't drive your children. Discover the calling on their life that comes from God. You want to know what drivenness is? Drivenness, when you drive your children, you're telling them that you've got to succeed according to the standards of the world. That's drivenness. But when you know there's a calling... Totally different. Zacharias was praying for John. And you, son, you're called. And he would be a prophet. He would be the forerunner to go before Jesus Christ to give the knowledge of salvation to his people. A beautiful thing. That was his calling. And in one sense, it's all of our callings. You know, we have to prepare people for, for the, the time that the Holy Spirit speaks to them, you know, and, and just plant seeds and, and, you know, water seeds. And then one day God gives the increase. One day, you know, God brings in the harvest. You know, John was talking, uh, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. He's going to say that. The Lamb of God would be coming. Um, and... We, we kind of say that today, don't we? 
or, or do you? Do you tell people Jesus is coming? Do you ever tell them that? God wants you to tell them that. He wants you to tell them that. Jesus is coming. And you might even put it this way. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You better get ready. You know, when John was saying Jesus is coming, it was the, it was a little lamb. But for us, when we say Jesus is coming, it, it's the lion. Judgment is coming. I'm reading Isaiah. I'm reading Ezekiel. I'm reading Jeremiah. And I'm saying real clearly, judgment is coming to this country. Judgment is coming to America. It's already here in cert- to a certain extent. Romans chapter 1 says that when God begins to judge, he lets go and then the homosexuals rise up. Judgment is coming. Manny, is there hope for America? Yeah, if the prophets tell her that judgment is coming, then there's hope. Kind of like Jonah when he went to Nineveh. Judgment's coming. Tell the people that judgment's coming. Tell them that they haven't seen anything yet. Tell them. I think you have the authority of the word of God to tell them that. And you give them the knowledge of salvation. Now, for John, it was a different story. It was like, hey, you know, verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, when the day spring from on high has visited us. It says right there, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And it's a beautiful way of saying the, the, the morning star, or maybe even the sun, giving us the light that we need in the darkness, giving us the guidance that we need to lead us where? To the place of peace. And all that's found in, in you know, us doing our job. John, if you think about it, is, is in one sense the light. The, the Lord is the light. You know, last night we were coming home from Twin Peaks, and uh, I wasn't sure I was going to come home, but... There was a brother that said, you know what, I'm coming too. And he knew the roads better than we did because up there it was really foggy, crazy foggy in, in the mountain, you know. And I was thinking, man, I'm afraid. I don't know if I, if I want to go home this late. I was going to call Joey and say, hey, bro, ready in season and out, you know. And <laughs> I'm sure he would have been ready. But the bottom line is um, we had a guide. We had a light in the darkness. And he brought us home. And that's who our God is. He wants to bring you to that place of what? Look at verse 79 if you would, please. Look at that place right there. It's called peace. Do you have that? Do you have peace in your life? You'll have peace in your life when you're walking with the Lord. When God is your guide. Jesus said, I'll give you peace. He's the light in the darkness. Stay close to him. And so it says in verse 80 that the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation. No nutshell. 30 years. A couple sentences. (laughs) Zacharias brought him up in the light of this prophecy. Undoubtedly, Dad knew that his son had a destiny. And even though it was etched in history, God's sovereignty, it didn't diminish his responsibility as a dad. 
Undoubtedly, he grew as a dad, and so his son grew. And undoubtedly, he drew his strength from God, and so his son grew strong. Parents, this is a big lesson for us today. And then more than likely, like I said, Zacharias and Elizabeth went home to be with their Lord. And they finished their greatest work, the work of God. Greater than being a priest in the temple is being a parent in the house. And there they were in the heart of their son. God had been planted. And John was then drawn to the desert. God would continue to work with him. God would now take over, preparing him for the work that he would do through him. And Jesus said in the end, in Luke seven twenty eight, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Parents, pour into your kids. Whatever our job is, you guys, in life, don't miss out. And I'm telling you this right now, because I know in America, we a lot of times we find our value in our, in our, in our vocation, you know, and how much money we make and stuff like that. But, but it's a lot closer to home than all that stuff is, man. It's our families, you guys. It's the Lord working in us and through us. Being open to being Zacharias and Elizabeth and miracles and mercy. And people see it. And they're drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may God stir us up today just to take these things to heart. Are you a parent who's parenting properly? Think about that. Take that to the Lord. If you're disciplined by God, or maybe you're going through hard times, are you coming out bitter or, or better? You know, when Zacharias came out of his nine-month deaf muteness, he came out praising God. Now, are you carnal? Are you spiritual? Zacharias, I love the way that he was just filled with the Holy Spirit, man. He just praised God. What comes out of your lips? Are you building people up or are you tearing people down? Are you called? Are you driven? Ask the Lord to show you. In closing, it says right there that Jesus came to save us. Are you saved? Are you really saved? Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Or are you doomed? If you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're doomed. And what you need to do is you make a, you need to make a decision. Affirm. It doesn't have to be an emotional thing. It's a convictional thing. It's a decision that you make to turn from your sins and to trust in Christ. And you need to do that today. It's your only hope. It's our only hope. Father, we love you. We thank you so much, Lord, for loving us. And as we just begin to work our way towards the words and works of Jesus Christ, Lord, it's such a blessing to see uh, the birth even of John the Baptist, the forerunner, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us and stir us up that you just allow your church to grow strong and to know her responsibilities in you, Lord, that there really is vision from God, that there really is a path of peace right in front of us. 
So Lord, help us to take heart today. Father, please do not let our hearts grow cold or calloused. Let there be a greater sensitivity to your Holy Spirit, Lord. A greater hunger for the simplicity of your word. It doesn't have to be packaged all nice and neat and fancy. It's your word. I just love you so much, Lord. And I pray, Lord, today, if there's anyone here who, who doesn't know you, especially, God, I pray that today that they would surrender their hearts to you. We do love you. We do thank you, Father. We pray that you bless us now, Lord. Bless us with those things that are most important in our life. Bless us with the things from above. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.